I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand. One of the focuses of the show is about the desire for connection between people and the companies that they engage with. We are a very customer-driven culture these days, and we've reached this point where that customer experience is really the most important aspect above price and above product, or at least as important. My guest today is here to talk just about that and the importance about a customer-centric culture in an industry where I really believe it is more critical than ever, and that is healthcare. Karen Gillis is the Director of Customer Service for Abbott, and she's here today to talk to us about her really impressive career in this space and what she's done, particularly in terms of digital initiatives as well. Karen, welcome to OnBrand. Hi, Sarah Grace. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, you know, you have such an impressive background, and I think that that's a great place to start. So you can, can you tell our listeners and our viewers about your career and how you got involved with Abbott? Sure. Oh, God, it's been uh, 23 years with Abbott, but uh, I started my first 10 years in a, in a clinical laboratory setting um, as a medical technologist. And I started working through, you know, mostly microbiology, and then I ended doing point of care testing. And uh, that really led me to that uh, near bedside testing where uh, glucose and blood sugar was the most common point of care test done. And uh, the rest has been history. I've been with Abbott uh, mostly um, within their diabetes uh, care division and uh, following really diabetes management and glucose management for the better part of 20 years. Wow, that is amazing. That's a really interesting background and not one that you might assume, particularly um, in this world, that you would have that type of experience as well. I've got to think that that sets you up pretty well for your role as director of customer service for Abbott. Can you talk about your current role and focus and, and some of the things that fall under your purview? Sure. Yeah. Gosh, I, uh, you know, I learned about Abbott from working in the lab and uh, understood it as a very trusted brand, especially in the diagnostic space. And um, all that medical technology, of course, helped me really understand um, the technology, the innovation that's a part of the culture here. But um, I was on the customer and the client side for many years and then transitioned to working in the, in the industry side. And so I had a sense for what does the customer actually need from its sales representatives or from the, the brand itself. And uh, that translated really well when I began to take over um, all the consumer uh, call centers and customer care and services. Yeah, I mean, th seeing things through the lens of the customer is really key. And I think that that's something that's really the basis, the foundation of this customer-centric culture concept. Yeah. Now there's some alliteration. Customer-centric <laughs> culture concept. I love it. The writer in me loves it. Um, talk to me about what makes, what, what are some things to consider in terms of having a customer-centric culture? Why does it matter? Well, it's interesting because really every customer is different. They are actually articulating a story to you in many ways. They're asking you to listen to what their issue or uh, question is, and then you know try to help them make the technology work in their in their day to day. And so you know they'll have a story about how they became diagnosed or the type of insulin they're using, or they might just tell you about the trip they're about to take, and they want to know 
you know, can I use it in the airport? So there are uh, little mini stories and a lot of feedback coming into the customer service center that uh, can be really utilized um, as you go and you develop new new innovations or new services to support that that customer base. Well, and I think about too specifically with um, diabetes, about diabetes care too. That's something where it's an ongoing relationship. It's not um, something in the healthcare field that maybe is treated and you and you move on. It's something where you're engaging the whole time, and yeah. so that sort of lends itself to a little bit of a different relationship and dynamic. Um, does that impact the way that you approach how you engage with your customers? What are some considerations that come to mind when you think about the Abbott brand and the voice and tone and purpose? Yeah, I think, you know, the very first thing is is easy, right? We, we develop and, and spend a lot of time in design on technology that's easy to use and accessible, but um, that also serves uh, us well into the support area. We, we need to try to evolve and uh, be accessible and easy for a broad range of types of uh, customers, not just our consumer or end user, but the caregivers, the parents, mm -hmm. the, the healthcare professionals or the office uh, team that are actually uh, helping their, their patients in an office practice. So it's a wide variety of um, sort of attitudes and or adjustments that you need to make depending on who's calling you and, and why. That's a great point. You know, you've got sort of a multi-tiered, multi-layered customer here because it's not yeah. just one person. There's a lot of people who could be involved in this particular story. You know, from an internal standpoint, um, if you're thinking about, if you were to give advice to somebody in any industry, really outside of healthcare, um, you know, why it's important to have a customer centric culture, where do you start with that? How do you become an internal champion or, or drive that championship internally to really get people thinking through that customer-centric lens? Well, the most powerful tool I have is the customer themselves and mm -hmm. their voice. So by, by either analyzing and bringing that feedback to life for um, my, my colleagues, or whether it's actually you know listening to calls or doing call listening um, and uh, um, helping people in marketing, helping people in R&D, helping even the executive team really hear what the customer's uh, telling us they need um, or what we sound like to the brand um, on the flip side of that. That is the most powerful tool. And of course, statistics, you know, the data set that you can uh, derive from how many calls we get, what types of calls we get, what are the problems we can solve for either from a digital uh, solution, from a, a product solution, or from a, a service uh, provisioning solution. So it's really the, the customer, the voice of that customer that brings to life why we're doing what we're doing. And uh, we serve that up quite frequently and we measure and, and analyze and are in a constant continuous improvement mode. So yeah, it's it all with customer feedback, I would say. Yeah. And, and they're giving it to you. It's just, yeah. are you listening, right? Yeah, and exactly. you started to talk about, you were talking about calls and then you were talking about digital. Great segue. Let's talk about digital. What have you seen in terms of shifts when it comes to consumer channel, preferred choices? What are the, some of the things you've seen over the last couple of years? Yeah. You know, when, when I first 
got into the consumer side, it's, it's quite a different animal from, you know, talking business to business. So this mm -hmm. business to consumer concept is, is, uh, requires a, a much different mindset about the customer and, and trying to personalize while handling the volume. So you're trying to get to one-to-one -one while you're dealing with many, right? So, um, that can be a challenge. Um, uh, you know, the, the telephone calls are, are, you know, still a primary mechanism for people to communicate with a brand. But today we have so many choices from an omni-channel perspective. And mm -hmm. one of the things I realized pretty early on was that email is not an effective conversation tool, right? It, no. It's really for the purpose of what we mostly do, which is tech support. Um, we found that um, that would be a great follow-up or transactional tool, but mm -hmm. not a good conversation tool. So we went about trying to figure out how to utilize messengers, chats, and things that would serve that conversation, that back and forth Q&A and, and listening engagement better. And so that's where we began several years ago. And... Um, I would say the the hardest part is really just getting started. Mm -hmm. Once you get started and you can kind of convince, you know, your your team that they can do it. We we build the capabilities slowly. We learned as we went and that was just the hardest part was getting getting started and uh just taking the risk, taking the leap of of we can do this in a regulated industry. And that, that was a really important leap. And you helped us with that. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, and I think you brought it up yourself, you know, regulated industry. I think there's a lot of myths around that about what can or can't be done. And the first thing is, is just getting started, like you said, and mapping out. It can be done. Regulated industries like healthcare or financial services, you just have a little bit of a different roadmap. Yeah. You have a different sandbox, right? Than if you were uh, talking about like a makeup brand or I mean, even with that, that's got its own rules of engagement too. Cause if you had something with an adverse effect on a, you know, eyeliner or something like that, right. you would have a protocol to follow. So you just have to set the protocols. I also love what you said about this uh, disassociation with email. It's kind of, I've talked about this in some other shows. It feels like you can get really bogged down in email and I think what you're talking about is designing a customer pathway that is very in alignment with how we speak to each other and how we even speak in business. You know, I was thinking about my interview with um, the CMO of Slack, Julie Legal, talking about, you know, think about the way that we Slack each other now versus emailing. And I love how you've kind of got your, you've got your finger on the pulse of that in terms of, of your customer. So when we think about regulated industry, what are some of the things that that kind of came into play once you took that leap and once you got started? What were some things that you learned along the way? You know, I thought I thought about it in this way. I thought, what is one of the biggest fears, right? We might have as an organization mm -hmm. to get past that first hurdle, and I don't think it was it was conversing digitally because we we had been doing email response for a while, but I think it was. Um, handling complaints, right? Uh, you know, these sort of regulated things and making sure that we still maintained, you know, um, the right uh, tone and language and approved uh, content, right? For uh, various reasons that uh, we have controls around. So it was just about 
starting there. And so we started with a single single type of complaint, a very common one. And we um, we basically just took that one thing and started to do it um, through uh, basically a moderated uh, pathway. So we still had our agency moderating. They would weed out just that one type of complaint and pass it along to the, the care team. And uh, by that, then we just added a, a second complaint and a second one. And then we went back, we revisited, we, we measured, we looked at it, we scanned every one, we did 100% approval, and we started to show competency uh, to the point where we then moved on to the next uh, types of things. And then we finally got to, you know, all the different inquiry types. And now instead of sort of a, a standardized, you know, language where we can only have the same answer for many people, we can now, you know, we built up the trust and the, um, I guess, uh, capability, right? Um, and competency to just be able to more freely converse uh, to answer the question for that particular customer and bring in the other services that we can provide um, similar to that of the phone where we can, you know, look up their, you know, their coverage type and see if it matches and or direct them to the best place for for the best place to get the products. So we've uh, evolved and started very simply and very slow with one of the areas that we uh, needed to get um, competency and trust built within the organization. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. You don't have to do everything out of the gate. In fact, I would recommend that you don't because it's- You did recommend that we don't. Oh yeah, I did recommend. (laughs) We we decided where we wanted to, what are the topics we want to cover in this channel and then do them well. And then then you can expand from there. So great advice. Yeah, it's test and learn, right? And I think that, again, this is something that applies. It certainly um, lends itself to a regulated industry. But quite frankly, it's advice that I think is good um, when you're migrating or launching in any new channel, be it uh, social networks, messaging, community forums, consumer review sites. You know, these are all points of connection. And then you can, you know, sometimes things won't work. And that's where we learn, I think, is, is in what doesn't work as much as what does. We do more of what does. And I think, you know, you and I would probably both agree too. you don't just set it and forget it in social no matter what, right? We're always, sort of, yeah, you'd be in a lot of trouble if I was doing what I was doing in social four years ago, maybe even four months ago. Um, And we'll get to that because I want to talk about the last year. But let's talk about connection for a moment. Um, You know, these are um, all different types of points of connection. We talked about messaging or you can go from Twitter. We might migrate that into direct message. Um, and I also think that your consumer, you know, will, they don't mind being channel switched if it's going to create the best experience for yeah. them. Let's, you know, let's not do it like immediately and kick them out of the channel. Um, what do you think, though, when we think about connection, what are some ways that you connect with your Abbott customer? What are some things that are important for Abbott when thinking about connections? Oh, geez. Um uh, you know, we have a, a wonderful marketing and, and PR team, and we actually started doing some um, brand advocacy um, mm-hmm. elements where if we got positive feedback from someone, we would invite them to share their story with us. And we still do that quite a bit. And um, uh, we, we really um, have a lot of brand advocacy um, just from a simple service interaction or just from the ease of use or um, the product 
um, uh, and how it's servicing the customer in their in their life. So we we did that connection um, again through social. So as customers came into that channel and engaged with us and had a good experience, we would ask them if they wanted to share it or share a story. And uh, just um, having that connection, we also use our first name of our agent in our digital channels. And um, so when we get feedback, it's directed at that person. Oh, Maria was great or, you know, mm. Joe was fantastic. So um, that is really great. And even negative feedback, of course, helps us as a brand. And so um, we try to get back to people who uh, may have had a bad experience and turn that service experience around, which is really, really important to do. And then we, we can turn somebody uh, into an advocate even uh, after that um, sort of negative first experience. So I think having the ability to do that one-on-one -on -one outreach um, and have one-on-one -on -one connection um, in that social channel and they're, they're not, the posts are pretty much all attended to uh, very rapidly. Having that speed um, of attention paid really uh, pays dividends, I would say, in terms of customer uh, brand love and advocacy. I, yeah, I love that you are you're singing some of my favorite songs here, yeah. especially with the brand advocacy, <laughs> because listen, I think that that's a great way, your true organic connection with a customer that results in a brand advocacy moment is a great way for other either potential or current customers. They see that engagement and trust is built and you yeah. can't, you can't buy that, you know? I mean, it yeah. just happens through the experience and through the engagement as well. And you mentioned something else. You talked about negative feedback or a negative experience and course correcting that. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that, I, I love the personalization too with, with the name because we are people behind these companies. And I think that that is something we are longing for even more so, particularly after this last year is that connection and that, that human quality. And we are humans, we make mistakes. And I think it's about how you show up when the mistake is made, not the trying to never make a mistake. That's just totally irrational expectation. It's how you show up, you know, when something goes wrong. So, you know, that segue is sort of into this last year, um, you know, 2020 was, you know, really nothing that any of us could of course predict it. Well, you can't predict in a year. Well, maybe some people can, I can't, but, uh, but we, we didn't know. But what was interesting to me is that you had already, um, from a strategic standpoint, made digital a priority before we got to 2020. That was already underway. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, how that last year was for you because you were already running that path, right? Did, did that help? Um, were there any learnings coming out of 2020 that maybe had you pivot or informed where that strategy goes next? Wow. You know, um, in an instant, right. We have, um, impacted, uh, call centers in Asia, you know, in, in, in other countries, um, all over the world, right. We're, we're being impacted at slightly different times. Mm -hmm. So we, we were able to kind of move quickly. Um, and, and I would say more than even digital, just having some site redundancy helped us, um, when one of the centers was affected and trying to get people um, to the at-home environment, we we were able to cover in, in countries that were um, were not um, 
impacted quite yet um, in the buildings, but we pretty much prioritize the health and safety of all of those employees. So um, we, um, and, and, our, and a mix of vendors really supported us in that. Um, I think the digital care team was, was clearly one of our most valued assets because if we had any disruption in the telephone and the connectivity as people were you know, starting to move out into these um, home environments, we, we knew we always had a, a, a persistent uh, ability to stay connected um, through the social and messaging channels. And um, we also had an, invested in, in virtual agents ahead of that. So we had a bit of a backup plan, I would say. Um, and, you know, to be honest, it was a very tricky time for people with diabetes. There were, you know, um, these pre-existing conditions and diabetes was one of them that were um, at high risk for COVID. Um, and therefore there was a lot of um, activity and fear that we needed to help allay, not only in making sure the product was available, right, to our customers, um, which uh, required a lot of uh, effort and, and communication about, but also just being there to answer questions so that they could effectively continue monitoring during that time and um, and uh, have continuous use of the products at that time. So we had to be available. We could never have a, a, a down day. Um, and of course, the, every, every company went through that uh, from a service perspective. So I'm sure um, people can relate to the uh, initial mm -hmm. challenges of, of trying to get all those workers uh, remote, but we were successful in doing so within you know, days in, in one of the instances, literally driving uh, computers out to, to people's homes on mopeds and, and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, the customers needed us to be a constant, a stable and a trusted resource. And we did everything in our power to to maintain that and, uh, of course, maintain employment, uh, you know, which was really important for people during that time as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Abbott definitely falls into uh, some of the industries where critical needs, some were comfort needs, some were both. Yeah. You know, you were definitely uh, maintaining a critical need. And you made a great point, too, that a lot of your customers were also um, within that sort of audience that could potentially be at a higher risk, you know, um, in terms yeah. of pre-existing conditions, right? You also mentioned communications being really key. And prior to that, you were talking too about, you've mentioned marketing agency partners and whatnot, in addition to other partnerships. And I think that customer centric culture, this blending of marketing sales and service really speaks to yeah. the importance of that collaborative relationship. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that and how you work with marketing as a unified team or as, as sort of, you know, in collaboration with each other? Yeah, really everything we do right now, um, you know, is impacted by sales and marketing and, and vice mm -hmm. versa. So if they have any kind of uh, programs or, um, or customer benefit right uh, programs, we we help them not only in the design and making sure that the customers sort of voice and usability factors are, are factored in, but also we we want to take it in and we want to help pull it through right. So um, really, I I I mean it's like weekly constant. Everything we do is integrated, um, uh, really into everything from 
you know, TV promotion to, you know, a, a savings voucher or something like that. So um, there isn't much we, we can miss uh, from a customer service perspective because it's all as a result in, in a customer engagement of some kind, right? Whether it's uh, before they've acquired the product or while they're considering the product or long after they've uh, been a, a long time user. So uh, it's just a, a communication factor and a relationships, right? That get built um, across the organization. Very critical to customer centricity, I would say. Oh, for sure. And I think, again, that's something that is could be universally adopted across a lot of verticals. Great advice for uh, for those who might still be operating more in a siloed approach. Yeah. You know, you think about can't a do that anymore. <laughs> no, you can't get to knock those silos down. And, and you know, I, I have this with um, partners as well, where we are very in a well, we either are involved ourselves or we're aware of at the very least of what are those campaigns coming out? Yeah. Because what are they going to trigger in terms of questions or potential responses, you know, good, bad, or otherwise. So we Correct. can kind of get ahead of the curve on that. So that's really good advice. You also talked about kind of slow and steady wins the race, test and learn. Don't try to do everything at once. You know, take your kind of common topics and drivers, start there. Is there anything else that comes to mind if, if somebody's listening to this and they're in a business where they're like, wow, we, we need to get to where you are so I've got my checklist. Anything else to add to kind of those first few steps to take to get to that customer-centric culture? You know, for me, I looked at what are the underlying skills and mm -hmm. capabilities I need before I can start doing digital conversations. And one of them was content. I needed a knowledge base or a list of pre-approved responses or claims. I needed to make sure that each uh, individual agent would have some material to mm -hmm. start to use to converse in a in a controlled and appropriate way, um, rather than just you know a free form because that wasn't going to fly anyway. So we we really I literally hired a um, a knowledge management specialist and started to build that internal capability. And then we we switched modes and started to build external content and evolve the content that we already had, um, so that we could start out look you know with the right brand voice and tone and and with the right sort of solutions and tools uh, for helping that customer on the, on an individual basis in writing. Um, and the other is kind of looking at the skill set and the the profile of the people that we're going to be doing um, the conversation uh, from a customer service perspective. And those representatives needed to have the right language skills, the right experience and maturity to uh, take that brand voice and tone and and put it out um, on social. And so, that's a very important um, profile to sort of agree and align on with um, whoever's sourcing those employees, whether they're internal or not. And um, and then you want to really like map out what are the types of things you want to, the goals that you have for that channel, because not everything is appropriate for those. Um, in fact, we do channel switch on purpose some conversations that might require a bit more of a, of a conversation, verbal conversation. And so there are not 
um, everything handled in every channel per se. So you want to kind of decide on what you think is the best. And sometimes you'll learn which ones are working and which ones are not. And then you can shift those around as well. Yeah. That's great advice. I love that too, that piece of, um, about focusing on content. And then you mentioned the, kind of the hiring profile, the skill set, the training. Yeah. And that content can be both customer facing and of course, internal facing internal. To help with that training as well. I think you're right too. And, and also you don't have to be on every channel just because it's out there. You know, I'm not going to tell everybody yeah. to run, run over to TikTok, you know, some, but not, <laughs> not all of them. Uh, but listen, you know what? Not you a great conversation about, tool, but. Yeah, no, probably yeah. not. But great for listening and for trends. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Reddit is too, which you mentioned at the, the top of our conversation. And I also kind of wanted to bring that back because that's something else near and dear to my heart is, is you can learn so much yeah. qualitative and quantitative from that data too. So I think that's a great point to remind our listeners about. So um, well, so much great advice here, Karen, to kind of wrap things up, you know, we're in a new year, things are moving rapidly, things are changing rapidly. Um, you know, we hear the term innovation a lot, it's thrown around a lot. I think, you know, meaning behind it, um, you know, is really tied to digital transformation initiatives, we're moving into capabilities where we can have sort of that technology behind the scenes, helping our teams learn and operate faster as well. Those are some of the things that kind of come to mind as I think about, you know, what I'm looking ahead for in this new year. What about you? What is sort of on the docket and what are you excited about now that we're well underway in 2021? Uh, you know, we, we have such innovative products that I really feel like, you know, we're behind the eight ball if we if we aren't innovating our, our service approach as well. So I think customers are really looking for um, networking and to feel less alone in their moment um, of pain. And, and that's a lot of the reason why people reach out on social, right? Or have social, you know, groups that they interact with. So I really um, like the idea of building a community that we can interact with but that we can foster um, for our own uh, customers or or caregivers. Um, I like the the now changing intersection between um, owning your own healthcare uh, journey at, with your physician, where consumers are really driving choice. Right, um, that's that's been happening over the past decade, really, and um, consumer choice in healthcare is, is a big deal. So you can imagine what that doctor's conversation is now um, compared to what it used to be, where the doctor would um, be the only one, you know, prescribing um, what to do or how to do it. Um, and then I, I really like the uh, concept of, you know, linking the the digital technology with, with self-help journeys and trying to make it a little easier for people to navigate through, uh, you know, a product replacement or an inquiry, uh, you know, themselves. I'm a big self-helper myself. So, um, you know, I love it when I can do my own thing, my own returns online. And so really linking that, you know, that new, you know, ability to do this digitally with that, um, you know, that customer service journey and starting to create, you know, these real true customer interaction portals where they can do some stuff themselves, interact with the brand or the community and, uh, get a lot more, um, from the brand than just, um, you know, the phone call. I love it. Uh, I love what you said about the importance of community and creating, uh, taking that into a deeper state as well. Really, yeah. 
Just fantastic advice across the board. And I, what I love so much about this conversation too, among many things, is that again, you know, you're in healthcare, it is a regulated industry. There are these sort of like, oh, you can't, and that's not allowed and this, that, and the other thing. And you've just really taken us through quite a story that proves otherwise and others can take a page from. So Karen, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. And I'm so excited to see what comes next with Abbott. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah Grace, and for all the great advice you gave us when we were starting up. But I would just say, go, go for it. One step at a time. Love it. Thanks again. All right. Cheers. Cheers.